still a lot of really good talent on the board. So you continue down the board with the way you have the talent order, and you just bring off the best players. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson down in South Florida. He's Andre Fernandez, now up in Tallahassee. Andre, how are you? (laughs) Now up in North Florida, at the other (laughs) end of the state, 400 miles away, but I'm doing well, man. I'm still... We're still doing the same things, just from different angles, man. Covering covering the baseball draft, just like you are, you know. It's uh, good times. Yeah, and we actually got a moment to actually have some overlap with that on Monday. That's right, Mar- <laughs> Noel's becoming Marlins. You know, uh, all's good in the world. Yeah. So let's just jump right into it. MLB draft overlapping with the All Star break this year, overlapping with all of the All Star festivities, which is just. In, I don't like in, it. No, I no. <laughs> in terms of, I understand what they were trying to do with it, with having the draft lead into all of the events. But yeah. just selfishly, from the working standpoint of it, it's been awful. Between yeah. Sunday being the last game of the, the last game before the break, the futures game having to try to pay attention to Max Meyer and Jake either, and then two draft picks, which. The Marlins getting arguably the steal of the draft in Khalil Watson at 16. We'll talk about him in a second. And then Monday, day two, rounds two through 10, and then the home run derby afterwards. And then the last 10 rounds on Tuesday followed immediately by the All-Star game. Yeah, It's just they could have found a way to space it out. Do have all your stuff Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then do the draft Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and make a full week out of it or – something but make a, you, literally make the full week out of it but instead just clump everything together you, you probably feel tired just recapping all of that imagine actually covering all of that and shuffling it all you know juggling everything together yep and it's one of the reasons why i'm covering the all-star game from home with to folks on the draft instead of being at everything out in denver for yep. talking with trevor and potentially being out there for the one inning that he'll likely throw on tuesday But Mm -hmm. enough of that. Let's actually get into (laughs) the bulk of the news. MLB draft, Khalil Watson expected to be, he was ranked between fourth and seventh on draft boards, depending on who you looked at, MLB Pipeline, Baseball America, ESPN, The Athletic, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. He slips to the Marlins at 16. Yeah, I mean. The Marlins pounce and make the right move and get one of the top prospects. (laughs) You have to. I mean, the two cases like that in the first round were this one and Kumar Rocker slipping the 10 to the Mets, you know, and the Mets pounced on that and rightfully so. But yeah, I mean, you look at it, a tremendous talent, this kid. I mean, his tools are, are at least above average in pretty much everything. I think the power is the only thing, but even the power is not bad. You know, especially from the left side of the plate, we've seen that trend over the years with them. They like getting those power hitting lefties, but this is not just a power hitter. This is this is a guy that's going to hit consistently, you know, as he did. And sometimes, you know, he's shown not just against the fastball, which is common for for a guy that age, but he can hit some breaking stuff too. So if that continues to carry over to the next level, that's going to be fun to watch, especially a guy that can run as fast as he can. He's got a plus arm, good defensive skill. I mean, this is this is a good pick, like a really good pick for them right now. The interesting part is, you know, we're we're in a season where we've seen how well 
a guy like Jazz has come on and he's become pretty much like a like the face, if not already, will be the face of the franchise at shortstop. But you're you're you you make this pick hoping that you've built more shortstop depth or middle infield depth down the road. Which you wonder, you know, are you are you doing that just in case some of the other guys in the system don't pan out? But at the same time, it's a it's really a tantalizing talent to have there just in case not only that happens, but also to just bolster it. And that's the whole key. You know, you have to get to the point where you're like one of those organizations that just has one guy coming in after the other every couple of years and you don't miss a beat. And they're not there yet, obviously, at, at a lot of spots. But it looks like with what by getting Khalil and and they and as you're probably about to tell everybody, they not only got Khalil, they got a couple of shortstops on day two to continue that effort. Yeah, we'll get to the other shortstops in a minute. But just to recap what Khalil Watson did during his high school career at Wake Forest High in North Carolina, 477 batting average across his high school career, 16 home runs in 66 games. Remember, this is in South Florida where they're playing 30, 40 games every year. Right. Uh, as a senior, he hit 513. Uh, he had 61 career stolen bases in 66 games. Uh, DJ Spillett, the Marlins director of amateur scouting, a couple weeks ago when we talked to him, he was like, yeah, there are seven or eight guys that we know are definitely not going to be on the board when the Marlins draft 16. Khalil Watson was one of them. So my first question to him when we got him immediately after the first round on Sunday was, okay, if I told you when you asked us for names two weeks ago, if I said Khalil Watson for 16, how much would you have laughed at me? And his response was, yeah, I would have said you're crazy. There's no way this, that, the other. We cross-checked names anticipating one or two guys to fall. He would have been like fifth on that list of guys that they would have said maybe something happens. So right. the second he fell, they were like, yeah, there's it's a no-brainer. We have to take him, best guy on the board. Uh, Svillip comped him to Jimmy Rollins in terms of his athleticism and what he can provide. And – on that note, they also end up drafting at the end of that first day in the competitive balance round. Joe Mack, they got a catcher. He was projected yeah, he to be a catcher. Yeah. <laughs> the first of two catchers they got. Uh, yeah. yeah. He was projected to be the number nine. He was the number 19 prospect by pipeline. They got him at 31. So again, mm-hmm. they get two guys well below where they were projected to go on day one. And then day two is when they start picking into essentially the surplus of talent that was left over after everything that happened in 2020. So remember the 2020 draft was got shortened to five rounds right? from the usual 40. Yeah. So a lot so, of guys went back yeah. to school. Yeah. yeah. So instead of 1200 or so guys getting taken last year, only 160 got taken. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those fringe junior fringe high school juniors who normally would have been taken or those fringe high school seniors they the high some French high school seniors going the JUCO route, play a year, get back in the draft pool. Right. High yeah, so I saw expanded rosters in college baseball this year, and a lot yeah. more talent spread out. So. Yeah, and the Marlins pounced on a lot of that that older talent in on day two. I mean, uh, their first pick was uh, wrong sheet. Uh, they got Boston, the Boston College shortstop. Cody Morissette. Yeah, yeah. Cody Morissette. They got Tanner Allen from Mississippi State, which. Getting a Great guy pick. like him in the fourth round. Very good pick. Yeah. Again, that I like one of my favorite ones I did. 
that's probably that is arguably the best pick they could have had in day two. I mean, you look at what he was able to do with the Bulldogs this year. Mm-hmm. He only has six twenty one slugging, eleven home runs, sixty six ribby, seventy two runs scored. Only in the SEC, <laughs> right? In the SEC. No, and versatile too. Can play in yeah. outfield or play at first base. I mean, those are you know they, they always good to get another outfielder. And obviously, if he ever down the road, if he does play first base, we know what their situation is on the farm there. So definite boost, but definitely one of my favorite ones of all their picks overall, because it, you know, I, I got a chance to actually write about them during my sabbatical of, while I was freelancing and the kid, I mean, he, he, like, he's got it. Like you said, the tools, you know, he can hit well, hit for power good, pretty well too, especially in the sec to slug against the kind of pitching that there is in the sec that, that he's facing every weekend. That's, that's pretty remarkable. And also again, like you mentioned, lefty bat, the Marlins went really heavy lefty hit with lefty hitters, uh, both their picks on day one. Uh, if I'm right, the first three that they had on the first three position players, they took on day two. Uh, and then they go, they get another catcher in Alabama, Sam Prater, Gives them both. They have a high school catcher, a college catcher, and then they go with four pitchers on to wrap out wrap up day two. Uh, Indiana's Gabe Beerman and Texas Tech's Patrick Monteverde, who are more pitchability type, which is the new go to buzzword, which is basically not that um, new, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's basically it's the go it's the go to buzzword. They're going to throw ninety two, ninety three, but they're going to be guys who can who command their stuff. Correct. Versus who they got with the second half, which was dipping back into that Wright State University bubble of Jake Schrand. They, they love them some Wright State guys. Yep. Wright State factor, as our good, our former colleague Joe Fasaro yep. said back in 2019. <laughs> yep. And then to bring us back full circle to where Andre is now, their final pick on day two, Florida State right-handed pitcher Hunter Purdue. Dre, what can you tell us about him? Yeah, Hunter Purdue. I mean, it kind of caught me off guard uh, that he got picked in the 10th round. I was expecting maybe potentially a day three pick there, but a good get for them if he's healthy. You know, he had an injury last year. It was re- he redshirted as a junior after he came over from uh, from a Juco where he was pretty dominant. I mean, 117 strikeouts. This is a strike thrower kid. I mean, it fits the profile they like. You know, a guy that's not going to walk that many. He didn't pitch a ton this year for FSU, but he, he pitched mo- mostly out of the bullpen and uh, struck out 28, only walked 10. So there you go again, you know, that type of pitcher. Wasn't really a closer, more of like a high leverage relief guy, but, you know, has the stuff. I mean, you know, big big body frame, 6'3 guy, you know. So, again, if he if he if he's durable, if he can stay healthy, it's another arm that you put into your farm system and and watch it and develop and see if maybe down the road he can become either a key bullpen piece for you and and which you know these days how much we're how much we're we're you know Marlins fans are agonizing watching that bullpen most days you know anything they can get down the road that'll that'll help out and already a college guy too so in, in theory could be a guy that won't take too long to get up to the majors. Yeah. And to move from one part from the draft to the other part of what's going on now, all-star game Tuesday night, Marlins, as we discussed last time, only have the one representative Trevor Rogers, but again, what a heck of a year season Trevor Rogers has had to this point, uh, top 10 in the national league in most of the main categories, top five in ERA strikeout per nine doing well. 
And he's gotten to the point where now that he's facing teams multiple times that teams are thoroughly scouting him. Don Mattingly made the comment of he's not Trevor Rogers, the rookie anymore. He's Trevor Rogers, the all-star, the guy who won rookie of the month twice, twice already. The guy who people are actually going to start looking at and making him have to compete and battle more and more as he makes more starts. And we saw that a little bit toward the end before the break, his last, Three or four starts, he only went – I think he didn't go longer than five innings in any of the last three. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had the battle, which also I means he was facing the – he faced the Braves twice and he faced the Dodgers in his last three. So facing those lineups, but again, seeing him – seeing what he's been able to do when we weren't sure exactly how much he was going to flourish through his first year has still been a bright spot for the season so far. Oh, absolutely. I go back to, you know, he's a legit all-star. It's not – you know, this isn't like the token you everybody gets one pick like he earned this spot. He really did. He put up the numbers and, you know, this is good for him, you know, facing those lineups that you're talking about. This is this is excellent for him and his development right now. I mean, we're going to see how they manage his innings down the stretch, but it's good to see him stay and not have, you know, issues down the road as far as that goes. And he, he's adjusting well and. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how he carries this over into into next season and the year after that and so on and so forth. These early, you know, these early years of progress for him where he's really settling into being a consistent major league starter. So it's going to be fun to watch because, again, the kids made a lot of strides in, in a short amount of time, even going back to last season with with just improving that pitch arsenal. Yeah, definitely. And before we hit. Before we head to the break, uh, gonna play some sound from DJ Spillick over the over Sunday and Monday. Just his thoughts on what they've done to this point in the draft, how they approach things, and just sort of how they're shaking things out as they try to continue to build up the minor league system. So, without further ado, here is Marlins director of amateur scouting, DJ Spillick. Well, <laughs> a I wasn't in the draft room. I was in a conference room, sweating bullets, because uh, a lot of there was a few players that were falling into our lap, and a couple players that we had planned for. So, uh, what was going through my mind? I was I was sweating. I was I was it was nerve wracking, but um, it was such a great feeling after we made after we decided to make the pick, and I walked into the draft room and all the scouts and all my cross checkers, the front office and to walk up to the board and grab that magnet and to see the expression on everybody's face. Like, are you kidding me? Did we really just get Watson? That's such a great thing. And it gives you, it reinforces how much the organization really liked the player, how excited we are about the player, uh, how happy we are to bring him into the Marlins organization. Pretty high stakes poker stuff at the last minute when you're dealing with three or four players, it's a little different when you're, when you're picking at three, four, five down in that area where you, where you know where all, all the best players are going to go. And it's, it's pretty, pretty defined. This was the first year that I, we've picked down in this area in a few years. And we would hope that we keep picking down this, this area or lower it becomes much, much more difficult and you can't do it all by yourself. I had some really good people in the room with me. Everybody had everybody had a job to do with a specific with specific advisors and agents. Um, 
and the information changes instantaneously. You know, there's four, there's four minutes on the clock and you're trying to get information. And there were other players that we thought might be available to us. And then literally at the last second, that player became available. There's a lot of if this, then that. So if a player, you go through those exercises constantly. That's what we did all week. You're constantly, the lineup of the board happens prior to coming down to these, these meetings. We certainly tweak some things and uh, move some things around. But generally speaking, a lot of the lineup happened over the previous three weeks. So when we get down here, it becomes a lot of strategy discussion, making sure that your pool money's right. You know, you know how much you're dealing with. So we have people running the money, running the numbers, running the different scenarios. Uh, and you just want to have a, a forward, uh, forward foot approach. So you're ready to go no matter what happens and you can pivot and, and move as the market dictates. So we were ready. Oh, absolutely. You're, you're, you're dealing with about from around six to probably around 15 or 20 with a lot of good players on the board. We didn't have, we didn't have access to those players last year. So all of those players come back to school. They do what they do. And you have to mix them in with all the 21 year olds. I'm referring to the college players. And then you blend in all the high school players. So, you know, if you you had an opportunity to walk into the draft room, it's amazing. And we anticipated this. We really knew how this was going to happen. We felt like we knew how this was going to go down. The, front, the whole front half of the board from rounds five and above is heavy, heavy high school this year. And that's because you have all these college players that came back to school, were older, and the industry didn't really know how to, how to handle them. Um, track records were varied, which is really important with college players. That's why you pour into a college player. You pour into them, yes, because he's good, but you have the confidence in his track record. That was much more difficult to get your hands around this year. So you ended up with a board that was really tilted towards high school players in the front. And then now all the 22 year olds start, start coming off the board from last year. And now what we're left with is day three with a whole bunch of talented 21 year olds that just didn't get selected. All right. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk some actual bait, some baseball news as we're at the halfway mark of the season. Uh, actually dive a little bit into the 6-0 Sanchez news that came out after we recorded last week and just evaluate where the Marlins are with with a little bit less than half the season to go. So we'll be right back. You know, awful news for, you know, starting with him uh, as much as anything, obviously, for us as an organization. um, I know we tried to take the conservative route with this and, and allow this thing to you know, progress and hoping that we wouldn't get to this. Uh, but obviously we have, uh, now we just deal, you know, deal with it. Just feel, you know, feel bad for him. Obviously any player that has a, you know, surgery, you worry about you know, their career and, you know, just kind of moving forward, you know, with, with like, you know, a guy like that. All right, we're back, everyone. So some breaking news happened at the uh, er, uh, early last week after we recorded. We I touched on it a little bit at the very intro, but of the podcast, but we didn't get to dive too much into it. Uh, Sixo Sanchez, Marlins top prospect who has been dealing with the shoulder issue, recurring shoulder issue, 
Every time he felt like he was getting somewhere, he had a setback. Uh, Marlins finally decided to completely shut him down. They had He underwent an MRI that revealed that he had a small tear in his right shoulder. He's supposed to be undergoing surgery, and they anticipate him being back in spring training. But that news basically just put a very somber, abrupt end to what had been four and a half months of just drag dragging out updates that were really minimal updates at best and closes a chapter of the season where he was hoping to take that next step that never came. Yeah. I mean, it just shows you why, like we kept thinking something was off because, you know, you don't keep continue to make, you know, every, every, every few days or whatever it was, it was like the same distance he's throwing. It's like, okay, where's the progress at? Why is he, why is he not getting a little closer? And now, you know, and, and it's unfortunate. I mean, he came, when he came to the Marlins, he had had a little bit of injury history already from, from the time with the Phillies. So it raises some concerns, you know, in terms of, you know, how durable can he be? We know how good he can be when he's out there. We saw it last year. We saw it in the playoffs. And the other unfortunate timing is this was supposed to be a year where he was going to build off what he did last season, especially the ending of last season was a little rough for him. So you wanted to see how he bounced back from that, both with, you know, the work he did in the off season and now getting into that year where he could potentially have pitched a full year. Now we got to wait till next year, cross our fingers and hope he can do that in 2022. He's such a big part of the future here that they want to have, especially with that pitching rotation that in theory is going to keep getting better. So yeah, it's the most, to me, it's, it's one of the worst uh, outcomes that they've had this year. Forget about, you know, the losses and where they are in the standings for a second, but just anything developmentally to me hurts even more, especially when it's such a key piece like, like Sixto. Yeah. And to recap a little bit of the injury history he had before coming to the Marlins, 2018, he was limited in the Phillies organization. He had right elbow inflammation. When the Marlins traded for him in 2019, they were really slow with his progression. He didn't do anything in spring training. Uh, did a lot of backfield work for about a month, month and a half afterwards. Uh, I remember Dre and I and Joe Frisaro going up and watching him throw his first thing against live hitters. It was like a month after spring training happened. And it was like figuring out when he was actually going to finally make his debut through. I think he made about 10, 11 starts that, that year in 2019. And I then, saw him in Jacksonville when one time and broke down one of his starts and he looked good. I mean, yeah. he got hit a little bit, but it, what you liked seeing was no walks. You know, he didn't give up anything. He didn't, he didn't give away anything. And yeah. you saw the profile. Yeah. And then 2020 came in the spring training the first time around, just for lack of a better phrase, out of shape. They had to ease him back in. He was back to more or less back to normal once things picked back up after the COVID-19 shutdown. Uh, when they did summer camp, he was fine. He did everything at the alternate site. And then he dazzled in the little sample size that we did get to see in 2020, the nine mm-hmm. starts he made, including the two in the playoffs. And this is also yet another reminder of the importance of having the starting pitching depth that the Marlins have been stockpiling in the minor leagues. That's why you 
have that's why even though you have a 6-0 Sanchez and you have what the Marlins have at the top end, you need to have the Edward Cabreras and the Max Myers and the Jake Eaters and even the Braxton Garrett, Nick Knight, or Dan Castano guys who are your stop gaps until then, because you never know when injury's gonna happen. And if you lose the one guy you're banking on to be your to be the main guy, and that's all you have, it sets you back. Great, a great man once said, layers and layers, right? I mean, you need it. You can never have too much starting pitching. That's right. That's proven time, time and time and true again. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. And then uh, some other notes to talk about. Uh, Don Mattingly, uh, Kim Ang announced last uh, on Thursday that the Marlins and Mattingly agreed to have to to enact his mutual option for the 2022 season. He's going to be back for at least one more year. Again, Donnie's been of everything that's gone on throughout this rebuild. He's been one of the few constants at the big league club in terms of being there while basically his roster is being is completely rotated as they bring in the stop gaps while the prospects come in and has been there to help guide the prospects as they make their big league debut and just for the continuity's sake, it seemed like the move made sense. Yeah. And again, this is another, it's turned into another year where it's a developmental year now, especially the rest of the way. You know, they, they, had, they had hopes of being in it, but didn't happen. And they're not in it now. So again, you got to look at the long-term picture, like we were saying. And yeah, I mean, you can't argue clubhouse-wise, He's a great fit for the organization, just the, the, the steady personality. We've talked about it a bunch of times. He's the right guy to have right now. But again, it begs the question, when they finally do take that step, I don't know if it'll be next season or in 2023, but whenever that jump comes, no matter whatever the jump ends up being, is he still the guy? Or do they turn to someone else? And that still is going to go unanswered for one more season, you know, and for – for Donnie's sake, I hope he gets a shot. But you know how baseball is, and it's a business. So it's if the Marlins feel he's the right guy once this is a team that's in it night in and night out and really going into August and September where you're in a pennant chase or a playoff spot chase, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah, and with that, here's a little bit from Kim Ang, Don Mattingly, and Marlins – de facto team captain Miguel Rojas, who has been with Mattingly from the start, even dating back to the two of them being together in LA and their relation. They have a close relationship. Just here's what the three of them had to say about Don Mattingly being back for next season. Obviously, you know, we've had a great run here uh, in terms of, you know, last year and, and him winning national manager, national league manager of the year. Um, you know, we have we have a good club out there um, in terms of you know, the players that we've got and players that we have coming through the system. I think um, Donnie has been a consistent force. He's been stable here. And um, in terms of, of what our vision is and what our mission is, you know, Donnie's always been on board and you know been so very positive with those young players. It's a, it's a good feeling to, to be wanted, right? And I think that's always the key. It's what I talked about the last time when we signed the deal. Uh, 
as long as Derek thought I was the guy, then it was a good, it's a good spot for me. Uh, and now it became twofold. Uh, you know, I think, you know, moving on to Kim, uh, you want her to, you know, feel like that I'm the right person for her also. And, uh, and for me on my end of, of wanting to be back and picking up my end of it, it's that I, you know, I trust in Kim and I trust in Derek. You know, I like her vision for our club and, and what kind of what she the way she looks at it. And obviously that's in in step with Derek and, and what he try he's trying to do. You come when you come to Miami, you know, you come with the idea that you knew where the organization was at the time and you wanted to be part of building something and growing something. And yeah, so that part I, I really like. And, you know, you like the chance that you you go another year in, in this development. Um, and I do like the teaching side of it, but obviously we want to get to the point where we're accomplishing what, you know, the goal is. And so that, I think, is the key. I feel like you're getting closer to that, what what you're building and what we're building and and how do we get there. That's the challenging part that I like. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. This is a, a huge day for for the organization and for I know for Don himself because he cares about uh, what's going on here and what's been uh, all the all the changes and and all the 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 things that we have to go through uh, to get to a point where we are right now. Uh, really respectful organization, first class. And I think having a Donnie, a guy like him, in front of the team is uh, is one of the best moves that the organization can make, um, at least for another year. And uh, so happy for him, but I'm uh, happy for the organization because I know the kind of person who uh, Donnie is. I can talk about him uh, the whole day here if 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 I can. But uh, uh, to sum it up, it's like a guy who I can call um, – Part of my family, I can I can say that Don is like my father in baseball. Uh, gave me an opportunity in 2014 to play in the big leagues for the first time, and we still we still together uh, to this day. And I have to say that Don is being my o- my only manager in the big leagues, um, and I'm I'm so happy for for him, so happy for his family. But I, I'm I'm extremely proud for the for. For the organization and the whole players, uh, we're we're uh, happy and proud for him too. Donnie is a guy who can uh, like easily grow uh, a relationship with you and with any player. You know, um, he watched you play from the other side uh, before you even play for him. He start like evaluating players when they're playing against you. You know. Uh, I kind of have the opportunity to pick his brain about fielding a first base when I was playing first um, to uh, talking about his uh, his son and the love for his for the shoes that one of his older son have and I have the same thing. So our relationship is more than just a baseball uh, sport. And, and for me, it's like it's so important to have a guy like him that, that really cares about his players, really care about the development of the, of the players. And, and at the end of the day, that's what 
want. You know, you want someone who care about you, someone who gonna have your back at the bad moments and good moments. But I, like he always say, it's not gonna have your back if you're not working your butt off. You know, uh, for me, that's the main key with Donnie. You know, you have to really, really work hard to earn his uh, his respect and the way that he treat people. So uh, I'm just I'm just happy for. Um, for the relationship that we had in in in, in all these years, and uh, this is a great move. And to quickly wrap up today's show, we're at the All Star break. Marlins entered; they're entering eleven games under five hundred, thirty-nine and fifty, uh, nine games out of first place. A lot of NL East games, but the writing is basically on the wall for where they are at this point, and we are. As of Tuesday, we are 17 days away from the trade deadline, and it's just a matter of time before seeing not if parts are moved, but how many parts are moved. Yeah, absolutely. And the writing's been on the wall for a little bit. I mean, even you look at impressive for them to win three out of four against L.A., but look how fast any little progress in the standings gets evaporates when you turn around and then you lose three in a row. Yep. And that's the thing. That's the thing. And that's been the case for weeks now. It's just, you know, Unfortunately, too big of a pit to to climb out of this season. But you can continue to improve your franchise. These are three big days now with the draft where it looks like they have made those strides again with some of the selections that, that should pan out. And, yeah, you have to do the right thing as when it comes to the roster, address, look at some of the glaring needs on this team, bullpen being one of them, and see, you know, not just for the future, but see where you're at see how much value you can get for the guys that aren't going to be here much longer. I'm curious, you know, if 17, what, what, I think it's like, well, you still have like less than a month, like two, two and a half weeks to go. We saw the Ronald Acuna injury. That's going to shift the market a little bit because now Atlanta who's kind of teetering on still kind of in it. They may try to do something to, to, you know, you're not going to get Acuna, but they may try to do something to try and get, some kind of outfield presence to keep themselves in it, you know, and there could be others. There could be others over the next two weeks or so that there could be other key injuries that occur. And, and that shifts a team's focus in terms of what they want to buy or who they want to part with. And, and you'll see it go right down to that last hour. Like it always does on, on, on trade deadline day. And it'll be interesting to see, like you said, it'll be interesting to see what, what the Marlins can do to improve the franchise long-term. Definitely. And on that note, that's going to conclude our all-star break episode of Fish Bites. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining in, and we'll be back again next week. Have a good one, everyone.